Welcome to Law Talk with BJ. This is a very special and difficult episode in which I grieve that I must share with you in this way that my guest actually passed away recently and it is a loss for his family, for the legal community, and the public at large. Judge Horace Johnson of the Superior Court of the Alcove Circuit, which encompasses Walton and Newton counties in Georgia, has passed away. He had tested positive for COVID-19, and just hours after holding court via Zoom hearing, he died. I recorded him a few months ago when he was running to be a justice of the Georgia Supreme Court. I had actually taped all the candidates for the position when the election was canceled and the governor instead appointed a new justice. When I heard the news of his death, I went back and listened, and I realized that everyone should hear this interview, as it is a testament to what can make a jurist great. His love of the law, his life experience, and intelligence, I believe, comes through as he shared why he sought a seat on the state's highest court. Please realize some of the discussion is intertwined with conversation of the election that did not happen. That said, I felt it important to release his words and wisdom for all to have a chance to hear. You can read many articles about his contributions and tributes from friends, but to hear him is very special. I hope hearing his voice is a comfort and inspiration to every listener, and particularly his family. May his memory be a blessing. Thank you. And now the interview. Welcome to Law Talk with BJ. In the judicial series, we're focusing on Supreme Court candidates for the Supreme Court of Georgia. And it's my honor to have his honor, Horace J. Johnson, Jr., Superior Court Judge in the Alcove Circuit of Georgia, who now aspires to be a Georgia Supreme Court Justice. Welcome. Thank you for having me, BJ. So you've been practicing law for 38 years. You went to the University of Georgia Law School, so it's already marked for you as being a law dog and Emory undergrad. And now you want to transition to the Supreme Court. What is motivating you to seek this office? Well, uh, my breadth of experience, I think, prepares me for for good service. And I I think there's a, a, a great need to have... Uh, persons with a variety of experiences to serve on that bench. Uh, I would be the third uh, trial judge uh, in that uh, body uh, for doing so. And uh, certainly, I think that my breadth of experience certainly gives me that opportunity to uh, to bring uh, that to the discussion uh, as well. So go, starting at the beginning of your legal career, can you kind of walk <laughs> us through how you started in law and where, where you started as a young lawyer? <laughs> Um, that led to where you are now? Well, I, I uh, came out of law school and I was uh, young, single, and dumb, like uh, idealistic, like a lot of lawyers are as well. But uh, I grew up in Covington, but vowed I never wanted to go back there to practice or to be around. I couldn't wait to get away. And uh, started with a small firm in Atlanta and uh, you know, had friends that were in med school at Emory at the same time. So we roomed together and you know got started there as well. And had a uh, good learning experience of things that I didn't want to do as a practitioner, so it was a, it was a great learning experience for as I began and uh, ended up going guess where back to Covington, uh, within, <laughs> home sweet home. Yeah, within two and a half years of uh, being out of law school, and uh, had some friends that kept encouraging me that this was something that I needed to do. Uh, there at that time were no 
there were no uh, black lawyers at all in my town. Uh, although we were 40 minutes from downtown Atlanta, there were none at the time. So uh, um, I, I did. I took the bite and did it in uh, in 85 and uh, started my own shop there. And uh, What type of practice? What type of law were you doing? Well, back in those days, that was there was no public defender. So I, I did appointed cases. Uh, they appointed cases uh, to uh, lawyers to handle criminal matters as well and uh, had a general civil practice. Um, some probate work. And, you know, as you start out, you, you take whatever walks in the door if you can figure out how to handle it. And so uh, uh, divorces and a little everything else didn't do any bankruptcy work because I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't want to learn how to do it. And uh, Ditto. I'll join you in that. That's, that was not on my list. No, it was not. And uh, But so, no no disregard to anybody who handles it. It's an important area of law. A, I'll give that very, caveat. <laughs> very important. But, I, you know, as, a, as the old saying goes, you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none. So I remembered hearing that somewhere and I said, OK, we got to weed out. I uh, can't do all things. And so uh, that's where I began and, and uh, you know, did everything from trying uh, baloney theft cases and all the way up to murders and everything in between on the criminal side. I know how that feels. I think I remember I had a trial of um, some, oh gosh, there's some, uh, like a chair or something that was broken at school. And now in, in hindsight, it's horrifying that that's what we were trying. But yes. it was in a misdemeanor court. And back then, if you didn't plea, your boss would say, mm-hmm. you try it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you did. So yes. But it is a reminder that small things can bring you very serious consequences in the court system. I shall never forget my first uh, appointed case at a gentleman who had gone and cased a a Dollar General store and he wanted a pair of jeans. And rather than him just taking them when they were open, he waited till they were closed and broke the front glass of the store and took only the pair of jeans that fitted him. So, you know, then that meant he had a burglary charge as opposed to a theft by shoplifting misdemeanor. And I shall never forget that uh, experience uh, simply because I wanted to wanted to lay hands on him and go, man, what were you thinking uh, in doing so? Uh, but certainly um, uh, having a better understanding of of uh, of common sense, I guess, is the way I would describe it as well. My very first criminal trial. <laughs> and then. You obviously got involved in other areas of law and have been very successful. Can you share some of your successes there? Well, my practice evolved, and uh, I uh, I um, was an accounting major in undergrad, and so I, I thought for a nanosecond about doing tax work, and that went away quickly because um, I was like, mm, don't know if I want to do that for the long term, uh, but uh, enjoyed um dealing with real estate issues and issues involving estates and probate. And so that became, began to become a part of my practice. And so as years progress, I began to do more uh, transactional work uh, as well. My litigation practice uh, also evolved. I ended up having more uh, cases, you know, things that were tort litigation, some uh, medical malpractice uh, matters as well that evolved as well. And so things began to, to focus a little bit more and narrow. And uh, uh, so it, it evolved into some additional uh, partnerships uh, with other lawyers that I that I ended up uh, joining with over the years. And uh, so it was ended up being a great 20 years of that. 20 went by real fast. So 20 years of actually just being on the ground, being a lawyer before you took the bench. 20, yes. And what made you then seek a judgeship? 
there was a new seat that was being created as the um, as the circuit was growing. The counties were growing. Newton and Walton uh, were growing, and um, a number of of uh, my local colleagues urged that I should apply to do so. Uh, and so I gave thought to it. Talked to my wife. I had one at that time, and a, and two small children, and. Uh, we needed to move. At that time, I had been doing reverse commute. My wife uh, is an Atlanta girl, and uh, moving her to Covington was going to be a big uh, move for her. And so having to convince her, okay, if I'm going to make this application now, we have to live in the circuit. I can't just go to work. I was doing the reverse commute uh, for a number of years. And uh, we uh, we made that decision and made the move and uh, made the application and uh, certainly uh, was fortunate to be able to to be appointed to that Governor new seat. Roy Barnes. Yes. And that was in 2002. And then as, as a sitting Superior Court judge, you actually became the first black president of the Council of Superior Court Judges. I did. It was honored to be able to uh, be to serve and elected to serve in that position uh, back in 2016. Uh-huh. And then the other irony, you can tell I've been doing some research on you. You have. Um, that... Actually, in the 60s, you helped integrate the schools in the very county that you became a Superior Court judge. I did. and I was the first black judge to be elected uh, to the judiciary, or even serving the judiciary in my county and my circuit as well. There were no, on any bench, magistrate, probate, municipal as well. And so a lot of first, uh, you know, at the time of doing so. What kind of involvement beyond the judicial involvement have you had in the community over the years? That kind of that kind of show your passion, where, where your passions are. Um, probably, I would say, young people um, in seeking to um, encourage, um, foster, and let them know that they don't have to be what the, the circumstances that they live in. Uh, that the world is their oyster, and they really can. Uh, if they're willing to make the sacrifices and work hard. And so I try to preach that message. Oftentimes uh, they look at uh, lawyers as if somehow or another we are more, we're different than they are. And I remind them I I had many sleepless nights. Uh, I uh, had a few challenging courses uh, in school that I had to work hard at to to get by. Some of them I just got by uh, on and finishing up. But there's no substitute for hard work and sacrifice. And so I said those were my passions. I, I worked with, uh, um, I'm a past president of the local Kiwanis Club and, and of course Kids Priority One is one of their, uh, one of our missions there as well. Uh, I worked with the Arts Association in founding that, that uh, organization in, in Newton County that has brought uh, and exposed a lot of young people to different things. We've, you know, we've had the symphony to come to Covington for, you know, for a number of years. Um, and for, you know, for dance and for creative, um, you know, for art, visual art, uh, things and opportunities that may not, other kids may not have had a chance to be able to be involved in simply because of logistics not being available. But those opportunities are available and been thriving uh, in uh, in my community. And so it's great to be able to have watched that, uh, you know, evolve over the years, Boys and Girls Club uh, initiatives and getting them started. Uh, community Center, Washington Street Community Center, one, one of the, in fact, the local elementary school that I attended with my dad, who was an educator, um, back at, uh, I was actually almost five. We didn't have kindergarten. 
back in the 60s, and there certainly wasn't uh, opportunities to do that. But uh, I was uh, a kid of educators, and uh, they uh, got me ready, and uh, I started first grade at, at five years of age. And, uh, and so kind of the rest of it was moving forward. So what makes you want to shift now? Because, you know, have you been a trial judge for a long time? And I'm assuming you have overseen hundreds of trials easily, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I've seen my fair share in 18 years. So why now and what what makes you want to do this to be on the Georgia Supreme Court? Uh, well, I'll be honest. I um, I thought long and hard about making this leap. I'm 18 years in. I'm, I could have uh, probably coasted another term and and uh, hadn't had any, been blessed to have not had any opposition and and uh, figured out the next side of my uh, career on the sunset side uh, as well. But felt there was a uh, a, uh, a need uh, to have uh, the breadth of experience that I that I have had to be able to share going forward and felt that yearning something that could be done. I have the greatest respect for Robert Benham, who's retiring from this seat that I seek to uh, succeed in as well. Uh, he has been a great mentor to me over the years and uh, for doing so. I guess that maybe in some ways that has uh, urged me uh, to, uh, to consider doing so as well. And you may, the answer may be no or yes to this, but I'm asking everyone, is there a particular judicial philosophy that you have in terms of you know, because the appellate courts have mm-hmm. such an impact mm-hmm. on the entire state mm-hmm. on so many different issues. And, mm-hmm. and some candidates have a philosophy. Some have different reasons for or way they think they will approach this job. Where do you fall? I look at this position as being a part of a um, uh, of a, an umpire, a referee team. I I have, I'm the uh, only candidate in the race who has uh, sat on the bench in the game, um, who actually has been a uh, referee in the game as a trial judge, as a practitioner. I, I, I practice law in the game. I've been a referee being a trial judge and have called, uh, you know, interference or balls and strikes, whichever your, your preference is for or, sports. Or for me sitting there, when I say objection, you'll say, you know, sustained and I'm happy or, <laughs> or overruled. overruled and I just kind of take my, <laughs> go on, quickly think of the next question. That's right. But I'm always nice about it, BJ, when I say that. But Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I'm but, nice about it. But, but that's uh, part of the, wor- the work. And there is a difference now if you're on the Supreme the Court. Right. Calling balls and strikes and doing so. But this job, I, I analogize to moving to the replay booth um, and where you are reviewing what has been called on the field. Um, and I think it's important, uh, having had the experience, not just read about it and talked about it, but having done it. I, you know, I've called those balls and strikes and called those, uh, you know, illegal motions, uh, false starts, whichever you have to say your passion is. And so this is a move to the replay booth. This is what this job's about. We are reviewing records for doing so uh, to see what has happened below. If the trial judge made an error, if you know one of the litigants uh, said or did something that was uh, inappropriate to do in the case as well. And I think uh, it helps to, uh, to have that breadth of experience. And uh, that's why I, uh, I feel so strongly and passionately about uh, that the person sitting in that replay booth ought to know more than what they've read or been taught about as well and done it. And I've done it for uh, now 18 years and uh, certainly have uh, seek to bring that breath uh, to this job. And then you'll 
be in a position where you're really looking at the constitutionality of things very directly. Yes. Um, not only the U.S., but I, I think I've talked about this a little bit, but the Georgia Constitution, most people don't realize there is this amazing, very detailed, long Georgia yes. Constitution yes. that has to be looked at, especially when you're at the Georgia Supreme Court, um, matching what you saw below when you were the referee and corresponding that to what the Constitution says. It does, and obviously I do that now. Uh, you know, there are challenges that are brought uh, in front of emotions that seek to have laws uh, declared unconstitutional. And uh, in fact, cases that get to the Supreme Court begin where I am. Uh, the trial courts are where cases begin. Those rulings are where uh, persons seeking redress, redress uh, for their issues begin with me and my colleagues. And we have to make a decision um, from which things get appealed to the next level, to the Court of Appeals or to the Supreme Court with the changes in jurisdiction that that we've seen occur in recent years. There's that, that, that some things that now no longer exclusive jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. They've been expanded to do that. But in any event, yes, I'm that referee that has had to make those calls uh, uh, there now for those 18 years for doing so. You have some very powerful support. Um, I noticed that you've been endorsed by Larry Thompson, the former U.S. attorney under uh, President Bush. Yes. Um, and then you were appointed to your job by Roy Barnes, who mm -hmm. was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, this is a nonpartisan position. It is. But I did kind of take note that, you know, sometimes when I look at folks' background, you can kind of see one way or the other. But here mm -hmm. I'm seeing both parties having been part of your mm -hmm. of your judicial journey. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think that is? Well, I like to think simply because uh, I have always sought to be a person inclusive of all. Uh, as you referenced my history, uh, of having grown up in the 60s, uh, I, I know firsthand what it's like to be the only in the room uh, and to be comfortable with being the only in the room uh, and knowing who I am and, more importantly, whose I am uh, for doing so. And I, I'd like to think because of that, uh, certainly I have uh, sought to uh, present myself and to groom and I guess to uh, study and, and to uh, prepare myself in a way that others will see that in me. Uh, we don't get to choose what people think about us, but we certainly get to present ourselves in a way to uh, as to we hope people will, will see and perceive us as well. And so I'd like to think this is just exemplary of, of uh, my uh, my efforts and guidance through the years to, uh, to be a, a person that seeks to be inclusive of all, to give everybody a fair shake. Every person similarly situated ought to be treated uh, similarly, to be the same. And you have also received a lot of awards over, over time, and not to embarrass you, because I can tell you, but, but one of them that struck me is that you were awarded by the State Bar of Georgia the Chief Justice Commission on Professionalism Lifetime Achievement Award back mm. in 2017. Um, and I, I guess because you're now, you know, the Chief Justice from before has recognized you, and now mm -hmm. you are trying to travel there. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know how you can comment other than that I want the, the listeners to know some things about you in terms mm -hmm. of just how you have been perceived by those who will become your colleagues, in essence. 
uh, wow, it's right. Um, and I, I guess more telling to me at the time that that was awarded, I had no idea that I would be offering myself for this job. Uh, none whatsoever. Never on my radar at that time. Not on my radar at all. Um, and uh, I just feel like it's one of those, uh, um, you know, God guided things that's been going on around me. If I just shut up and be still, uh, you know, oftentimes uh, the nudging and the urgings uh, are revealed step by step. But I uh, was very honored to be a part of that uh, honor and receiving it. Ironically, received it the same evening that uh, uh, Senator Leroy Johnson, who just passed, oh, wow. received it. He was a part of the honorees that night. And so was honored to be a part of that. It meant more, obviously, even, uh, you know, given looking back on his life and his his accomplishments over the years as well. And just to point out, too, that you've been part of the Leadership Georgia Foundation, um, the Board of Counselors um, for Oxford College of Emory. Yeah, and I love that place. You yeah. love that place. Well, I didn't love it going. My, I, I love telling the story because uh, for young people, my my uh, my parents bribed me. I, first, first I told me it was a crime when I was didn't know any better. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's they hear it. Me. That's right. They let's did. get the That's statute right. of limitations is <laughs> passed, right. Your Honor. I think they, I don't think you're going to be subject to prosecution. Uh, no, that's right. Well, no, they, they should be prosecuted yeah. because they, they did the bribe. But no, they offered me a car. You know, a car and a kid. You know <laughs> right. what I chose? The car. Uh, I wanted to go off to Georgia, and uh, all my friends were going to Georgia, and uh, they said if you go to Oxford, it's too close to home. I don't want to go. Well, if you go, we'll get a car, and. Uh, I took the car, but a great uh, plug for Oxford, great place to begin, uh, wonderful experience, have lifelong friends that uh, I am still, that some of my godparents to my kids, and that's been, uh, we celebrated uh, 45, 40 years of uh, reunion recently from, uh, from Emory, and so great place. I got to laugh because the car thing worked for me in a different way, which was I was I had gotten ahead, you know, uh-huh. and I went to Emory undergraduate, and it was very expensive school. Very and pa- expensive, and, and, my, yeah. and my sisters were behind me uh-huh. all in school at the same uh-huh. time, and uh-huh. and my parents were like, you know, if you just go take this one extra course, you can graduate early in three years, uh-huh. and we'll throw in a car. And I said, okay, that's it. So I graduated a year early, basically, for the car. For the car. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what it's we can amazing. be bought with? When you're 17 and 18 years old, it works great. I don't know if I would do that right now. Neither do I, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they made me do it. That's the, that was one of those good parenting tips that I applied to my boys as they got uh, older as well. There you go. <laughs> and is there anything else that you want the voters to know about you, about um, why they should choose you for this job? Um, I'd like to... Uh, encourage folks to remember to go vote. This is a May 19th, 2020 election date. Um, not the most exciting time. We would have gone through the presidential primaries and everything, but encourage people to go vote. Absolutely. Um, and to remember that these positions matter. Uh, this is this is the court that has the final say-so in this state about issues that are that may affect you or your loved ones. And so I want people to, to, to do that as well and, and, uh, and to be sure that you put it on your calendar to go vote on May 19th of 2020. Uh, I am the only trial judge running uh, who brings that referee experience uh, to this body as well. And so I would uh, ask folks to remember that and, and looking um, – uh, and choosing to the person that they're going to support uh, in this election for doing so. Uh, I'm excited uh, and feel like I'm prepared 
and and have some great uh, experiences to bring to that bench uh, for doing so and look forward to uh, uh, being elected in May of 2020. And as we finish, we have been enjoying a cup of tea. And as I do on every episode, I pick something appropriate to my guests. And I think I have done it well. I I can pat myself in, on the back here on this. And maybe not so much in court. But um, the tea that we've been enjoy, enjoying includes nettles. And that's an herb mm-hmm. that transmutes painful experiences to a path towards growth and strength. And that's what I think I hear you saying today, that people come before you with very difficult experiences as a trial judge, and that you're wanting them when they walk out to leave having grown and have strength to move forward and not let whatever the legal, whether it's divorce, whether it's incarceration, personal injury, there's so many things the court touches. And then one last thing. Actually, I now see my note that I want to bring around to it because the Mm -hmm. reason why I picked it, too, is you've been very involved with your local accountability courts. I have. If you could tell us briefly about those. And I should have remembered those, too. Yeah, I I have been. I I preside over a a parental accountability court that helps to uh, encourage – consistent paying parents with regard to that child support. So we take uh, that parent from the regular child support docket and uh, seek to spend some more quality time with them in helping them to find a job. Sometimes we have to teach basic skills that oftentimes are overlooked about showing up on time, being consistent. Even when you don't feel the best, you go to work. Uh, and and how you uh, want to become a consistent paying parent. And uh, I've been so excited to watch lives evolve and watch relationships. We offer um, some um, pro bono assistance, some referrals for them to get legitimations done, sometimes custody issues and visitations, uh, things that get addressed as well. And so that's been one of the things I've been excited to watch, in addition to collecting funds for child support, which, uh, you know, helps that custodial parent. Um, and I've had both... Uh, moms and dad to my program. Sometimes there are moms who don't have custody of their children. So it's been real gratifying to watch that. Um, I also preside over a veterans treatment court where we take vets who have uh, gotten into the criminal justice system and seek to uh, spend some time giving them intense um, treatment with uh, mental and or substance issues. Most oftentimes it's dual uh, issues that they have going on. And uh, that's been very gratifying to watch uh, uh, these folks evolve and seek to define a way to the other side uh, for doing so. So, I, you know, it, it's uh, I will, uh, you know, I, I will miss that evolution of, of watching and touching people for doing so as well. But I think because of that experience, it better prepares me for that replay booth job that I'm applying for. Um, and, and that extends law to everybody. I mean, it does. It, it really it does. people don't realize I know all my friends, you know, always ask, like, who to vote for? How do I know, mm-hmm. know yeah. what to vote for? Which is part of why we're doing this. But it this truly, this court has so much impact on every single person. So I, again, thank you for sharing your background and experience to inform the voters of Georgia. And on that note, I'll say l'chaim with our cup of tea. And thank you, Judge. Thank you, BJ, for having me. And the tea is great. Thanks. 
This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ Music Theme, written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein Esquire. <laughs>